Okay, we left off in 1-6, which is a good transition point because now we get introduced to his name was John. Although you would think this is a self-proclamation, he's not talking about himself. So John, the gospel writer, is not this John. This, of course, is John the Baptist, the baptizer guy. So, first of all, I, I want you to note the heart of John, how, how humble he is. And he keeps saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to do this. Or he's always pointing to Jesus, not pointing to himself. He has followers, he has disciples, we're going to discover later on in the chapter. But when it comes down to it, he's always trying to push people to Jesus. Don't attach yourself to me, go to Jesus. Jesus, John actually specifies that he's not Jesus. He's not the light. He's pointing others to the light. So to show you who this, this guy John the Baptist is, look at, look at verse 7. He gives his own job description. What is his job description? What's his mission? To be a witness to what? The light. And what is the purpose of this witnessing? So that others will believe in the light. See, that's that that in one sentence, that's that's who he is. He recognizes that is his calling of God. So he focuses on that and that alone. And if you read the other gospels about John, you understand he was a little eccentric, a little little bizarre, uh, but really brought people to repentance. Verse, verse 9 is critically important. We've already learned in, in verse 6 that Jesus is the light. But now in verse 9, Jesus becomes the true light. Now to distinguish it that way, eh, I thought that might be a conversational topic for us this evening. What is a false light or a light that lies? If Jesus is the true light, then there must, by definition, be a false light. What is a false light? What's he, what's he trying to say here? Be a false prophet. A false prophet, okay, someone who is leading you in the wrong direction, even casting a light, saying, follow this light. Uh, remember the old movie Poltergeist? Right? There for a while was, go to the light. Remember that? It came to the point of, don't go to the light. <laughs> right? You see? Yeah, you have to be able to tell the difference. What, what other thoughts do you have about a false light? Good. Usually false light focuses on themselves rather than ah. someone else. In this case, Jesus or the Christ. And once John wants to make it clear that the true light is Jesus or the Christ rather than so false lights like false prophets when they want the pats on the back. Yes. Drawing the attention to themselves rather than to where it really, really belongs. And thank you for using your good preacher's voice. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about, y'all. Good, Reggie. I have a question that I thought about all week. Oh goody. You said about mm -hmm. space there's darkness and there's no light like outer space. Does that mean that God is not there because God is the light? Or does that just mean that there's no reason for him to be out there because we're not there? 
I just need to know. Did did God create that? Well, He created everything. Okay. God, yeah. So I, you I said you said God is the light. So the absence of light is not of God. But that there's no light out there because there's no need for there to be light out there because there's nothing out there about you. Well, there's a lot of suns and stuff out there, but the vast expanse of space, which apparently they tell us is still expanding, which I could not begin to wrap my mind around. Um, you know, how, how far space goes and we've not even found the end of it yet. But out there, there is a lot of darkness. You come upon a lot of darkness. Yes, there is. So, the absence of light, and God did create that, but, but is it absence of physical light? Yes. Yes. spiritual light. Right. So, is there... So let's let let's talk more more spiritual. Is there a lot of darkness here on Earth? Well, yeah. Okay. Is God present here? Well, yeah. Okay. So I think we can extrapolate then the same is true in space. If God created it, then God, you know, we we use terminology like God is everywhere, which I still don't quite understand. But God is everywhere, equally, all at the same time. So the next question comes then: Are there other civilizations out there on some faraway distant galaxy that that uh, Captain Kirk is still trying to find? Um, yeah, I. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, God is certainly big enough since He's everywhere to to be God of all planets and planet systems, and uh, who knows? We will find out someday. So who knows? I mean, it just. But all I know is yes. If, certainly, if God created it, God, God is there. What He's doing out there, I have no idea. But I would like to think there is a purpose in the presence of God, even in deep, deep space. What do you think, Jay? As an astronomer, we like to talk of the intensities of light. Yes. Light has different intensities. There's no place where it speaks of which one's brighter lighter than the other light. They just refer to as a light. There's red, yellow, white, blue. Uh, <laughs> yes, stars come in various colors and sizes and uh, intensities. Yes. So, go ahead, Bob. We have to be a little careful. At least it's the struggle I've been through since I have a very strong science background. You try to. You try to go from, in my case, physics to theology or, as you say, spiritual things or biblical things. And we have to be very careful that those two realities are not synonymous. And when John's talking about light, he's not talking about light as we understand right. light. He's not talking about darkness as we understand darkness in the physical reality. The spiritual aspect is the closest that comes to, it's more symbolic of, uh, of illumination than it is uh, an actual physical reality that the physicist would be interested in. Right. But Where darkness is that, isn't darkness to John, in my understanding, is is more than the absence of light. Darkness is that which opposes the light. Anything, yep, that's what he's getting to here shortly. Yeah. Right. So it's, when we say outer space or inner space or whatever kind of space, the two, the two metaphors are mixed. You can't, they're not. Symbols and illustrations have their limits. You can't, mm -hmm. 
But Reagan, back back to your point, you know, space is so big, but it also goes incredibly small. You know, when I was when I was a kid, we learned about you know the the atom contained a proton, a neutron, and an electron, and I couldn't see them, but they told me it was there, and I was just fine with that. Now they keep finding smaller stuff and smaller stuff and smaller stuff. I mean, so as infinite as, as space is. You know, size-wise that way, it also comes down to the, the, the minuteness of it. And again, God created all of it, and it all pieces together perfectly, and it's just, it's, it's fantastic how, how it all works together. But even Scripture says, you know, how, how wonderfully our bodies are made. It's, it's absolutely incredible when you, when you really look at it. It's mind-boggling. So John's making reference here in verse 9, that the true light gives light to every man. Okay, so again, you can't disobey what you don't have. So everybody has this. It's came into the world. Now the word world, John is going to use in his gospel 78 times. Very few of the 78 are used, the word world is used in a positive sense. Certainly, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In that reference, that's a positive reference. But most of the time, the word world is used in a negative sense. It's used to describe a, a system that opposes God. So he uses that word already, but it's in the same sentence as the light. So a system has been established that opposes, disobeys, disregards the light. So Jesus is the light of the world, but as a whole, the world rejects it. And that's what, what John is saying by, by using those words all together like that. John says we, we have the light. But as with everything we find, we have a choice of what we do with it. So if you're in utter darkness and someone hands you a flashlight, you have to choose whether to use it or not, right? Or you could be just really arrogant and, and big-headed and say, nope, I'll get my own light. You know, I won't take your light, I'll have to find it on my own or whatever. So we all come up with different excuses, rationales, and, and, and reasonings, but it's readily available to us is the point that that he's making. Now, theologically we have to consider what happens eternally to the countless persons over the ages that never heard the name of Jesus and therefore never had an opportunity to accept Jesus. In Romans 2, Paul, Paul describes the conscience, which is the biblical word meaning the Holy Spirit, but for a person that doesn't understand what the Holy Spirit is. Don't people, in normal conversation, talk about their conscience? Right? So that's, you don't want to use the, the, the term Holy Spirit. It's much the same as using the word forgiveness. We hate the word forgiveness. We, we don't want to use it. If I step in your foot, you know, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. And you, you'll say, oh, that's okay. You won't say, I forgive you. You know, I infracted upon you, but you won't say that because it's too powerful a word. We, it scares us. So, the, the point Paul's, Paul's making in, in Romans 2 is that, like he's saying here in, in, in John 1.9, we have the light, but now we have to make a choice of what we're going to do with it. 
a light that comes to all persons. Now, if this light is universal, all persons, regardless of country you live in, regardless of culture, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of every person has this light. The question then becomes, does the world act like we are following the light as a whole? That's a good answer. Depends on which world you're living in. Well, the world world, the physical world. <laughs> right? The world we can see and know and touch and all of that. So, yeah, the answer is obviously no, because so many continue to reject this light. But again, you can't rebel or disobey something you don't already have. So John's making a point. You have the light. Everybody has the light. But what are you going to do with it? And John the Baptist now, his mission is to be a witness to the light, to bring, to help convince people of the reality of the light in their lives and to help them to, to, to accept it. Verse 10. Again, the world, word world. So Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, if everybody has the light, and Jesus is in the world, how can the world not recognize him? Because he looks like man. Because he what? He looks like man. Okay, so physically, there wasn't anything really to distinguish Jesus. In fact, the, the only physical description of Jesus was he wasn't an overly attractive man. He was just an average, run-of-the-mill looking guy. It's the only physical description of Jesus in the entire Bible. Okay, so you, we can't distinguish him for a physical quality. Why else doesn't the world recognize him? It's not what they expected to show up. Okay, we wanted something else. Fabulous. Light. Thunder. Laser beams. Laser. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Yes, so that, that was the frustration on, on uh, Palm Sunday. You know, he rode triumphant into Jerusalem, not on the great white horse of victory, but instead on the lowly donkey, which actually was the symbol of peace. They wanted Jesus, and Judas certainly wanted Jesus, to, to take, they knew he had the power, but to take on the, the Romans and throw them out of the country. So Judas then thought, well, if I force Jesus into a conflict with, with the Romans, then he'll fight his way out and he'll, he'll win the battle. He's obviously not doing it himself. And by that point, the rest of the crowd had lost interest in Jesus. And that's why come Friday, that was Sunday, he comes riding in. Everybody, hey, Hosanna, Hosanna. Friday, crucify him, crucify him. In just that short a time. Because they didn't, they didn't get what they wanted. We wanted a military vict victory, and you come in talking peace. It's like, that's not what we want. So why else doesn't the world recognize Jesus? They have no concept of what he's bringing. Have no concept of what? Of what he's bringing. Okay, it's, it's really hard to understand how, how much Jesus is offering to us. Because, and I, I think it's a really good point, because we want to think that we earn this ourselves. We're going to be talking about grace here in just a minute. Uh, it's free, right? You don't do anything to earn it. <laughs> and we, that doesn't fit in our brains too, too well. 
you know, we want to do something to pat ourselves on the back and say, I, I earned that. But in fact, again, that's, it's something we don't expect. We, we're not looking for. And we may not even like. Therefore, we will steer away from that and say, well, I, I, I don't see it clearly. How else do we not recognize Jesus? He hasn't done his miracles yet. Okay, at this point, hasn't been a sign, hasn't been anything given that we would be able to, to look at him. But let's go fast forward now. Certainly when Jesus was alive and even today, I mean, there's been lots of miracles, lots of evidence, lots of substantiated witness for the reality of Jesus, but still people say, I don't recognize him. Why, why don't people recognize him today? Are they talking about rejection? What, what kind of rejection? Rejection of him, of God, believing in God, having faith. So why, why, why would people reject him? Right? People want to live in the world, the worldly things, and not even of God. They, 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 and, and you just have to simplify, you know, and, and that's, that's why they miss them, because you got to basically give up the money and, and everything else. Yeah, Jesus says you got to take up your own cross. Right. It's like, that doesn't sound like any fun, right? So, but he also says you need to count the cost before you sign sign the name on a dotted line. Right. Yeah. Good. It's, it's a pride issue. We, we don't want to die to ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, it's pride, it's selfishness, it's, you know, it's, it's the emotional lies that we believe that, you know, we manifest ourselves. And, but it's, you know, it's, it's all of that. We just... Same, you know, in the same way when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had it perfect. Well, look what happened. I want more. <laughs> Gotta have more. No, that's very, very, very biblical. Yeah, we have to become dead to self to become alive in Christ. Can't be 50 50. So, yes, we have to let go of self and adopt more of Christ into our lives. And that's. That's an admission of, I can't do this on my own, which we don't like that either. <laughs> so, yeah, this is fraught with difficulty. So, but the point I'm trying to make is you, I, we need to understand why there are so many around us who continue to, you know, but this is saying that, 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 that don't recognize Jesus. What are you going to say, Lynn? Uh, I don't know, because I can't hear. I don't know what you're saying. But my thing is that it's our will that we don't want to give up. We are strong-willed three-year-olds. <laughs> Reagan. I think so, too, that the, the right thing to do is hard. The wrong thing is easy. You know, that's, if, 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 if the right thing was so easy to do, everybody would be doing it. Hmm. And I think it's a lot of discipline and sacrifice, yeah. and, and, sacrifice and, and, and people aren't willing to do what it takes. Yeah, because we don't like the word discipline. Right. We just want everything to follow the sky on us, and we don't want to work for it or, you know, help ourselves to to achieve anything. We just want it want it, want it given to us. So, so it just again, you know, it, it's important to recognize how people around us just seem to have that glassy-eyed look when you start talking to them about Jesus. You know, they they don't recognize it. But all the more reason then we have to discern that in another person and come up with some different words, some different, you know, tell a story rather than 
telling people you're you're going to hell unless you believe like I do. That that's not going to work real well. So you know, help them. You know, Jesus used parables. You know, use use a nice story. Good. This is kind of all new to me, and it was something that wasn't talked about previously with the people that I knew. And now I find it it's not hard, and I'm not ashamed, but when you when you talk about this to your people, the people you know, they're confused. And, and they don't have the faith that that is needed to accept that, that hey, there is a God, there is a Jesus, and it's, it's okay to talk about it. I mean, I spent a lot of years not talking about Jesus. Believe, went to church, believed in Him, but you didn't talk about it. And, and this is where I'm at now. I'm, I'm kind of new to this. And, and it's pretty interesting when I grab a hold of somebody and say, hey, you know, this is where what I'm into now. And, uh, you know, this is what it takes to believe. And, and, and it's like you're stopping people in their tracks. Something I'm finding out, Jeff. And something that I'm trying to find a way to work with. These people that I grew up with, people I love, people I care about, but it's just not something that was ever talked about. Keep in mind, they still have the light in them. So that's what we're, we're trying to connect with, yes. with, with that in them. So that's what I'm saying. You know, find the right words, the right way to do it. But yeah, don't give up. Just keep coming at different angles and something, something likely will, will click. But uh, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, it, verse 11 says, even Jesus' own people. You know, remember, I already said you know, his, his own brothers and sisters did not recognize him. Now, Mary did. <laughs> right? See, he was on board. You know, before it even started, but really, no one else. Remember Jesus' first first sermon at the with his own people. They about ran him out of town. <laughs> um, you know, and so he learned very quick. Well, I can't, I can't preach. I can't teach these people. So he never went back home again. So his own people don't recognize him. That's that. That's got to be painful. Um, wouldn't you like to think your, your family knows you well enough to, to know your true heart and your sincerity and you know what you're really trying to accomplish? And but would Jesus no, no, God, right? Was it was it in the way he talked, or was he changed physically the way he looked, or just in his, his... see? I didn't know that. I, I didn't yeah. know that. It was it was pretty much the, the the message he brought. But yes, Jesus was you know 30 years old, so he'd been in that town for 30 years. You know they they watched him grow up. You know they. Yeah, the whole nine yards. But when he stood up to preach, they didn't want any part of the message. Well, then, then let me ask you this. So then his mother didn't tell his siblings that he was born of, you know, she was a virgin? Or, that, I mean, isn't that something that they didn't pass on? Or? Well, let me... Let, watch this, you all. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got to think about it for a week. No, no. We'll, we'll be able to answer this right right now. Do have have your kids always listened to everything you've said? What are you? Kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I am sure they do all the time. That that was a setup beyond belief. <laughs> no, but you see, but what I'm saying is, you know, Mary was in the same boat. You know, kids often do reject. 
the values of parents, at least for a while. But you see, a couple of them did turn around later on and you know, believed in Jesus, became great leaders in the church and everything. But First time you told that story, yeah, right, Bob, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you always did like him best, right? Yeah, it's sibling rivalry. You got, you got all that. So, yeah, it just, it's. Yeah, no, exactly. Good, thank you. So, so we we've been told because we have this book to read. But say in his own hometown, he was born, and then the next thing we hear about is when he was thirty. So, did the were the people of the town told him all throughout his life that he was? Well, Jesus? stop and think of the circumstances of Jesus's birth. In Nazareth, a young girl, not married, becomes pregnant. Mary tries to tell him, I was not with a man. I remained a virgin. Would you have believed that? <laughs> a lot of people have tried to use that over the years. It, 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 it's never, never worked. But So the, the, the stigma of that probably did remain. I mean, Mary was kind of a marked woman for her entire life um, and her children. So Jesus probably, yes, was not seen in a very good light. You know, a, you know who knows who the father is of, of this child and that in <laughs> Jewish circles back then that was not well received at all. You're almost ostracized. Uh, in in your own community, so I'm sure that 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 didn't help Jesus either. But you know, he tried, and okay, I'll go to somebody else, which is what he says. You shake the dust off, and you go somewhere that will, somebody will receive you. Good, Louis. I think a, a strong point to a statement too is that you know they would have had the Old Testament, which has preparing them lots of prophecies about who this Christ will be. Yes, and here he is saying. I have come, and so there are the people not recognizing right. what they've been preparing for. Now, interesting, Matthew's gospel, which we studied quite a few years ago, uh, that's his point. He uses the Jewish scriptures against the Jews <laughs> to convince them that Jesus is the Christ. He keeps pulling out all the Old Testament passages that point to this is what he will look like so that you will recognize him. Uh, you missed him the first time, but let me you know, share all this again to make sure you, you understand this time. So yeah, and that, again, John's coming from a completely different angle, but yeah, that was Matthew's emphasis. So, uh, and Paul, a good Jew, but I don't want to work with these people. <laughs> so I left that up to Peter, but yeah, they're a tough crowd. Real tough crowd. So yeah, a little, little bit of information will hurt, hurt you a lot. Go ahead, Bob. If one has a preconceived idea or a notion as to what something is mm. and will be, you know, when I was teaching physics, the hardest ones to teach were the ones that knew it all. Yep. You know, Good point. How are you going to recognize Jesus if you already know what he's supposed to be doing and not doing? He's not doing what you think he should be doing. Right. I, I think we have a tendency to do that today. A lot, lot of people change Jesus to make him be who we want. Have you noticed people really make Jesus very political with the 
current election or something, and you know, this is the candidate Jesus was voting for. You know, I mean, we, we, we become like Judas. You know, we try and we, we push Jesus in that direction rather than ask Jesus, you know, which candidate do you like? We say, no, no, you like this candidate. And we, we, we politicize or militarize it or, you know, yeah, nationalize it. We, you know, we do all kinds of things with Jesus. What are you saying, Reagan? Well, the Jews still don't believe Jesus has come, right? They That's correct. Yeah, we're going to talk about that here very shortly. That's why you need to carry your Bible with you at all times. Smack them up alongside the head. So, verse 12. John says that by believing in Jesus, we become children of God. What benefits do we get by being a child of God? I'm, I'm assuming there are benefits. I, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but go ahead, Bill. We're heirs. We, we share the inheritance. Of? If God owns everything, then we we get it, right? Yeah. I mean, the meek inherit the earth. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on, right? So, yeah. So we, we get the, the whole shoot match. And uh, certainly, specifically heaven, but everything that God is, we become part part of. We, we, we inherit it. So it, it just, it's almost obvious, but I, I think it's important that we make that point. You know, that's, that's what he's saying. And trying to remember, his job is to be a witness of the light, so that others will believe. Now, would you have a tendency to believe in Jesus if somebody said you have to believe in this guy or you're going to hell, or would you rather believe in Jesus because if I do, I get eternity? Hmm. Which one's just be a salesman? Which which one's a better sales tactic? Right. Throw a coupon in there. I'm, I'm, I'm golden, right? <laughs> today and today only, 50% discount. You know, it's, you know, see, you're, you're trying to promote that. That's John the Baptist's job. He's, he's, he's sharing Jesus, trying to put Jesus in the right light so that people will want to accept him. He's a really, really good salesman. So we're claiming to be children of the light, children of God. Now, you've got to keep in mind, we've got the other side of the story, because Scripture talks about that as well. Those who side with Satan are his children. Because children often do what parents do, at least while they're small, you have no choice. Because I'm, I'm the dad, you're going to do whatever I say, right? That's, that's all there is to it. So, the, those who side with Satan become his children and learn his ways. So, we want to say that we are children of God. And then we get all, all those benefits. Verse 13 says that we are actually born of God. Okay? What does that mean? I've already been born. By the way, we're going to talk more about this in chapter 3. Born again. Born again. So there's that, that whole theological concept there of... That's the struggle Nicodemus has. He actually starts arguing with Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Crawl back up in my mother's womb and be born again? Well, that's a little ridiculous. So that's why Jesus smacks him up alongside it and says, no, I wasn't saying that. So this, this is what I'm saying. So you and I then, as children of God, get born into this family. We are born into the human family, which is, by definition, we inherit sin. Now born of God, we inherit everything that is God. 
Much better deal. Verse 14. Truly one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. God became man. That's incredible. Now God, of course, can do anything he wants. If he can take a virgin and make her pregnant, then he can take on human form. So the basis of our faith depends upon our understanding that Jesus is God in human form. Now, it wasn't just God for those 33 years, but there came this time when he took on the appearance of a human being. So that begs the question then, the whole virgin birth thing and all of that. So that has to be part of the package. I mean, you, you can't believe in Jesus without believing in the incredible way that, that, that he was conceived. It all works together. It's a necessary part of the faith. Then verse 14 really gets good because it, it, it says that God made his dwelling among us. What? Say that in some different words. What, what does that mean? God made his dwelling among us. He's, he's living with us. How, how close a proximity is living together? Okay. All right. So, like family, right? You're, you're in the house together. Right there available to each other. God made his dwelling. A dwelling is a house. So he made his dwelling with us. Should not surprise us then, as we get into John chapter 14, Jesus will say to us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? I'm going to build you a house in heaven just for you. Again, just the, the, the home theme. I want us to be together for all eternity. And he's going to help to make that happen. The end of 14. I'm telling you, 14 is a really good verse here. It says, This Jesus, the one and only who came from the Father, is full of grace and truth. Now, I'm going to push your theological envelope. What is full grace? Define full grace. The ability to forgive everything. Okay. That's a lot like God, right? Okay. What you say, Peggy? Unconditional love and forgiveness. Okay, that sounds a lot like God. Okay, what else can you think of that would help to define full grace? Not just a little grace. Nothing but grace. Ah. Untainted, right? Unadulterated, pure grace. No condition. It's just, it's free. Wouldn't it be perfect? Absolutely. Now the next question is, do any of you live a life of full grace? We got a ways to go. All right, just say. We try. Right. So we're, we're on this journey. We're working toward that. But, you know, 
Reagan said, said, perfect. Jesus says, you, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? See how he connects it together? So you have to become, now here's the definition, not morally perfect, not even sinless, but once you mentioned the forgiveness aspect, as recipients of the grace, even when we sin, we're forgiven. So the, the, the biblical concept is not that we live sinless lives, but we are blameless in our sin. That's the word that's used repeatedly throughout Scripture. We're blameless. In other words, God has nothing against us because every sin that we commit, we're smart to come to Him and ask for forgiveness. Because we understand the full grace that is offered to us. Wrap your mind around that little nugget. That'll blow your mind. Alright? As if that wasn't tough enough. Next question, he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. What, what is full truth? You can't handle the truth, can you? <laughs> well, try. <laughs> what, what is full truth? Truth by itself doesn't need any adjective. Okay. It's either truth or it's not. Okay, so I think going back to what Hannah said, you know, nothing else added. That, that's how they sell juice on TV, right? Pure juice. Nothing added. No sweeteners, no colorings, no nothing. Pure. The truth, because Jesus is described as the way, the truth, and the life. That's, that's his nickname. And here he's described as this Jesus is full of truth, full of grace. And the best news we'll ever hear is he wants to share that with us. He has it, but he wants to give it to us. Now, with that kind of a story, look at verse 15. John the Baptist testifies concerning him. He cries out. Now, why does John the Baptist find it necessary to cry out as opposed to just having a normal conversation with people? He's exasperated because they don't believe him. Okay, so they, they, they don't recognize him. So there's a little, little frustration here. Why else would he have to cry out? Okay, they're not they're not paying attention. So, you know, I've cer certainly discovered when somebody raises their voice, it means I'm not listening. So I better start listening, right? Okay. Why else does he cry out? Urgency of what he has to say. There's a, is it, I have this urgent message of your salvation that you obviously don't have yet. <laughs> I need to implant that in you <laughs> in any way I possibly can. And so, like I say, you know, he. John the Baptist wasn't everybody's cup of tea. He was a little, little out there. But it was mostly because he's just he's ravenous about this message he has to share. And he will not let anything or anyone get in his way. He's on a singular mission. Verse 16, it again, talks about this fullness of grace. I mean, grace that is full. If something is full, you can't add anything else to it, right? So again, describing Jesus as the fullness of grace. From this fullness of grace, we have received one blessing after another. Now again, in terms of witnessing for Christ, sharing with somebody else, Jesus. This would be a great angle. 
the blessings you get by believing. Convince me. What do I get out of this? People are by nature selfish, so <laughs> you, know, you you have to recognize that. Okay, what what does this other part? What do I need to hear that will convince me to believe in Jesus? What kind of blessings are you talking about? Do I get a new new car? Do I get a trip to Bermuda? What 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 do I get out of this? Go ahead, Reagan. Okay, that's a good start. And, and I think a lot of times, I know it's been in, in my experience, that when you go to funerals, you know, they'll say they feel sorry for this guy who's a good guy. And then I'm thinking if he is a child of God, there's nothing to feel sorry about because he's in a better place. And he's right. living his life now is how I look at it. So let me, let me argue with you a little bit. I don't, I don't believe in Jesus, and you tell me, okay, one of the blessings I get is eternal life. What if I come back to you and say, well, my life right here on earth is really, really good. I, I, I have everything I want here on earth. Ah. There's a limitation to this. Right. Okay. But I'd like to take it with me. Rats. And then you'll say to me, well, how do I know that this God exists? And I'll say, well, can you see the air that you breathe? And you'll say, no. And I'll say, well, you just like the air that you breathe. He's out there. You just have to have faith. I'm, I'm just about ready to sign on the dotted line. But what's it take to put you in this car today, ma'am? <laughs> All right, come on. Give me, give me a story. Go ahead, Bob. We have to be very careful that we don't go away from the gospel because all the words we're talking about, we can define them in scientific terms and English terms and whatever, but we got to define them in terms of John terms. And John's put it, he's put the old enchilada in Jesus' past. Everything he says is for Jesus. So what we get is Jesus. And that's all that John cares about. He doesn't wonder, he doesn't want to motivate us with streets of gold and happy days and sunshine. He wants us to have Jesus. Because Jesus is the Christ. And that's the revelation of the Gospel of John. And if we if we sign on, as you say, sign on the dotted line, because we're going to get this thing and that thing, then we really haven't got Jesus. See, that's a very fine line, very mm -hmm. tricky point. If I'm helping the poor so I feel good, then I'm not helping the poor. You oh, absolutely. You're, you're, it's, a, it's a really fuzzy line. John wants us to have Jesus. He, he has put everything in the Christ back. Everything. And then he makes this wonderful uh, leap of faith that the Christ and Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. So my, my question is, Jesus is not singular, however. With Jesus comes a multitude of blessings. We've already just previous verse. Grace, you get grace, you get truth. That's my question. Peace. You get forgiveness of your sins because then the first thing is you have to admit that you are a sinner. So we have to enter into that conversation somewhere along the way. But here is the answer to the problem of sin. It's Jesus. 
right? And that the fine component of Jesus then is the forgiveness of, of your sins. So John's painting this picture. Jesus is immense. One word doesn't, doesn't describe it. One, one, you can't describe it in one sentence, one paragraph. Jesus is incredible. And so what John is doing is, is helping to break that down. So it's, you get blessings. You get multiple benefits from accepting Jesus. He's full of grace, full of truth. And so that's what John is crying out. If you want to be blessed by God, then you must believe in Jesus. Verse 16, from the fullness of His grace, we've received one blessing after another. So it's because of this grace, because of this free gift that God has given to us in Christ, we now are blessed. Now, verse 17, He almost turns the coin completely around. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what's the difference between law and grace? We've had a lot of conversations on this. Let's review that was what Romans was all about. Remember we spent a little bit of time in Romans? The controversy between law and grace. Somebody say something intelligent. What's the difference? The law is, is what we're supposed to do and we can't. Okay, So we're guilty under the law. Grace forgives us because of that. So law is a set of rules and principles and that is virtually impossible to maintain. Grace is a free gift that then gives us freedom to choose Christ. Reagan, you were going to say something. Actually, he said what I was going to say. The, the, the rules are, are what we fall short of each and every day because we're not perfect and through God's uh, uh, grace and, and the truth is where we give the forgiveness for eternity or for the potential <coughs> to go to heaven for eternity. I like that. So we have law and grace. They're not the same. We got to pick one. Which one would? Which one is John promoting? Which one does Paul promote? Which one does Jesus promote? Law, law or grace? Okay. Okay, grace. Now the really hard question: Why? Rules are great. Go ahead. The law was here before Jesus showed up. Right? Once Jesus showed up, you didn't have to follow the law anymore. You followed Jesus. Since and, he's full of grace. And and the same requirements weren't necessary. You had the full Being of God, right there with it wasn't a set of rules that you had to follow. It wasn't a set direction that you had to go. You had the grace in front of you on in the world. Okay, here, here's a good case in point. There was a law that you had to go to church. You had to go to the synagogue. You had to go to the temple. It was the law. Which is better? To honor that law or to go to church because you want to? Uh, thanks for not hesitating on that. Right? See, I, I think that's the difference Mark is talking about. Is, you know, the, the law makes crazy. And it did. And so this, and that's why Jesus says, I, I've come to release you of this burden. I, I make your burden easy and your yoke light. I'm going to, this is, I mean, 
it's going to be something, but it's not going to be nearly as difficult as this crazy law. These hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that you, you can't possibly, no one in the right mind can, can deal with. Reagan, you were going to say something. When you have the grace, though, don't you have the truth? Because grace is the truth. I mean, that's what God wants us to be. And like, grace. They kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Right. Right. So you get, you know, the, the blessings you get. That all, it's a package. Comes under under the lordship of Christ, under the name of Christ, but it's there's many facets, many, many elements of it. It's it's huge. Verse 18. Again explaining that Jesus is God, he really hits us hard. But now he says, No one has ever seen God, but God makes himself known. Here's a question. How does God make himself known? Okay. Okay. So we have the light in us. We have spirit, spirit within speaking to us. Um, how else is he made known? How about the many blessings? Okay. When you begin to look around and see how you're blessed, I mean, I've, I've known people that have just figured that out on their own. <laughs> it's like, okay, God's really, really good. Very, very blessing. How else does God make himself known? His creation. Okay, just, yeah, Mark and I were just, just talking a little while ago. I mean, it, it actually says you, you can't stand in nature and not recognize God. Well, I guess you can, but you're really, really, yeah, you're, you, 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 you know that you have, <laughs> you're wrong on this. But some people are pretty bold and arrogant, and uh, they, they want to believe something un untrue and convince themselves that that, that is the truth. But uh, uh, yes, the, the, the heavens tell the story. You, you can't look up in the sky. You can't go out, out into the woods somewhere and not recognize there is God. How, how else does God make himself known? Yeah, through through us. Right? So those of us who, who do understand it this way, now we, we become like John the Baptist. It becomes our urgent mission then to share that good news with others. Reagan, what were you going to say? Through us, our own bodies being able to heal itself. I, I just think it's amazing how a person can have surgery and you feel so bad and you think you're never going to heal and your body heals itself. I'm just in awe of that. And that, that should be an incredible testimony because that's often the word that is used in, in medical situation. It's a miracle. I hear it all the time. When the, the doctors say you have like zero to five percent chance of this ever working out, and you come through with flying colors and everything, it's you know that's even doctors say it's it, it, it's a miracle. Yeah, you think that would speak profoundly <laughs> of the uh, of the reality of God, but you know, a lot of people miss that too. What else are you gonna say? And I that's just like when Tucker was born. She weighed one pound thirteen ounces. She was no bigger than a block of butter. And I'm telling you, you could see through her skin, her veins were no bigger than the hair on my head. And to see that and her breathing and not believe it, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. I really don't. It's like, are you kidding me? Look at her now, she's a bonus mom, so. <laughs> God's pretty incredible. And fantastic. And there's probably a good place to stop. Because then we're going to get into the next big topic about priests and Levites and the system that became evil all around.